Hello and welcome to a new Nudia on Your Mind podcast. I'm Johan Trokme and with me here in the studio is Victor Sonebeck. Good to be here again in the studio, Victor. Good, good to be here again and the final podcast for the year. Indeed. Always feels a bit special to, to summarize the year. Christmas Nudia on Your Mind podcast, a nice way to round off the year, I think, and what a year it has been this past year. We thought we were back to normal from the COVID pandemic and then suddenly we were faced with a war in Europe. Uh, sanctions against Russia, triggering a global energy supply shock, food price inflation and soaring interest rates. I think you can reasonably ask, when did we last experience a normal year? And I think you can follow that up with, or is this the kind of years that we are to expect? I think at least it's it's safe to say that given what we do, uh, we're, we're not particularly uh, stressed over our jobs becoming less interesting, uh, to put it like that. So so the, the topics of our reports this year, I, I think you can say that they've been quite in line with the, the uh, turbulence and, and the geopolitical tension and and, and in that sense uh, I think we've been quite fortunate in that it hasn't been that hard to know what to write about. There has been a lot of things that are, that are on, on the top of the agenda for, for pretty much everyone. As strange or dirty that it may sound, I think you could probably say that we've been a bit lucky in our choice of topics in a year like this, um, looking at how relevant and, and, and how urgent they, they, they have turned out to be as well. But maybe it's useful if we just have a look back at the topics that we've covered in our Day on Your Mind reports this year. We started quite the, a few. Uh, there, there have indeed. And, varying and, a lot. And, and uh, again, boring is not the word I would choose to describe uh, what we have looked into during the course of the year. Uh, looking back to the beginning of the year, um, we started off uh, with a Nordic on your mind report about the, the big global renewable energy transition theme. We've done several Nordic on your mind reports about that before, and I guess it's pretty uh, uh, accurate to describe them as we have consistently failed to find a compelling explanation for why corporate capital expenditure should stay at uh, more or less 30-year historical lows, as uh, as it has been in the past at least six years. So we, we decided to take a new twist to the whole theme this time around, and in that report at the very beginning of the year called CapEx 4, Saving the World, we turned things around a bit and argued instead that the global renewable energy transition, uh, the commitments to limit global warming under the 2015 Paris Agreement, should be a very likely driver of an investment boom uh, that should actually normalize corporate capex. Uh, and, and the numbers involved uh, are potentially huge. Uh, it could be between four trillion and seven trillion dollars per annum of investments needed to limit global warming until 2030. And, and just to put that in context, that's more than 100% of what all global listed corporates invest in CapEx annually uh, at today's run rate. So over quite some time, corporates haven't really been investing as much as, as perhaps the data would suggest that they, they should do. And just purely from this, this uh, renewable energy transition, uh, that could, could turn this trend upside down and, and lead to super big investments. And with that in mind, and obviously since it's a, a topic that we've been coming back to, and uh, in this case with a focus on, on the renewable energy transition, we followed up this uh, this really on your mind uh, with writing about, you could say, one of the ways in which you could uh, finance uh, this type of transition. So a Nordea on your mind report about project finance. So what is this this structure for, for financing uh, big projects? Uh, and, and then uh, how can you use it uh, in, in, in uh, this, uh, this big transition? So basically just showing how, how it could be a critical tool for uh, adding funding capacity uh, for the, the, mass, the massive investments needed, as you one just mentioned. And then typically, you know, just showing that it, it's quite suitable for different types of investments, such as 
infrastructure or energy investments, uh, and, and they might be less risky than is widely perceived uh, given these structures, just to, to uh, bear that in mind. Yeah, and then you could question our mental health in that we decided not for the first time, but for the second time to actually write an Odeon Mind report about bank regulations. But we felt there were pretty good reasons for doing so. Uh, it's fascinating, although also in many ways painful. You uh, always learn something new, I guess. In, indeed we do. Uh, and and uh, the, the the Basel IV uh, banking, uh, global banking regulations, uh, which the regulator themselves call the finalization of Basel III, uh, they were postponed. The implementation of them was postponed during the COVID pandemic. But implementation has now been set for from 1st of January 2025 and onwards. And and given that this is drawing nearer and it's actually sufficiently close in time in order for that date to start showing up into the existing maturities of uh, corporate bank borrowing, it is becoming increasingly important to understand what changes Basel IV will bring. And as we highlight in our report, we are convinced that it will likely raise the cost of bank lending for corporates and affect a number of other areas within banking as well. And therefore, we feel that companies really need to make sure that they are on top of what awaits ahead so that they can be prepared and aware of whatever will be the best available options for them to use to navigate that new landscape where both availability and pricing of bank uh, funding could materially change and in many cases for the worse from the corporate's point of view. And uh, after the uh, the summer uh, we came back with uh, a revisit you could say to, to another one of our favorite and already on your mind topics uh, which is uh, e-commerce. Uh, so this report was titled e-commerce the new normal and we we examined you could call it the hangover after after the covid boost to online migration of retail sales because where we had seen a massive boost to retail sales during the pandemic, uh, which which basically led to to retail sales seeing some four years uh, years worth of uh, growth uh, in just that short time period. Uh, but we, what we looked at here is the the uh, uh, prospects for continued growth uh, within online online uh, uh, retail, but then also comparing this with uh, the kind of tough backdrop uh, of the cost of living crisis, uh, squeezing consumer spending, uh, and then investors clearly being quite concerned right now uh, with. The, the outlook for e-commerce. And after that post-summer Nordic Mind report, we uh, also did our annual uh, survey-based Nordic Large Corporate Treasury study. And this year, I think you could describe it as us tagging onto that theme from the beginning of the year on the global renewable energy transition, at least partly. Partly, yeah. Um, looking at all those big things that have happened uh, in, in, ter- in terms of uh, particularly, of course, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, we felt that we wanted to choose as a theme for the Treasury study a new view on risk. Because we've had a number of years with obviously low interest rates, but also compared with further back in history, limited volatility, a, a fair degree of stability, uh, meaning that Corporates have, to an extent, assumed that things are going to stay okay uh, in, in, in terms of how they view their risks. And, and clearly things have not stayed okay. So on this overall high-level theme of corporates needing to have a new view of risk, we decided to include in our questionnaire exposures to Russia and to China to map out uh, what those were like for the Nordic large corporates, uh, changes to corporate supply chains, and also how corporates manage the I guess you could call them old friends of commodity and FX and interest rate risks. And in that last case, with those more classical risks, we were also able to compare with the situation back in 2016, since we did a big Nordic hedging study back then. And we could include in the much broader treasury study many of the same questions that we asked in that particular area. 
so we could also get a sense of how those corporate views of risks have changed in, in those six years. And uh, go, going from uh, you know questions about uh, the war in, in Ukraine, about how corporates view risk, to uh, the the final uh, the final full piece uh, noim of the year, which is is uh, perhaps one of the biggest blockbusters you could say, because uh, then we focus on the uh, Nordic energy supply. So looking at the energy crisis in Europe, uh, but most of all from a Nordic perspective. And uh, again, uh, we personally, in, in what we do, uh, we're quite a bit lucky in that this is a sizzling hot topic. But I guess you could describe it as un- unfortunately lucky. Uh, because the, the the more hot a topic is, typically it's it's uh, perhaps uh, along these lines of of, uh, of a crisis. Uh, but we were planning about uh, planning to write about this uh, earlier this year, and then figure that what better time than to release it before the the colder winter months are upon us. And in this report, we wanted to answer kind of the question: How did we end up where we are? And and uh, do our best to explain uh, what does the situation look like in terms of the the Nordic energy supply, the production of, of electricity in the Nordics, uh, and then how are we connected? to, to uh, Europe in terms of electricity market, uh, but then also look at different uh, energy sources and, and uh, what would be required for, uh, or, or what, what would it take to get us out of this uh, this crisis? So what would be the energy sources of the future? And then uh, also, of course, uh, what are the consequences of this? Uh, just as a, a small teaser, if it's windy right now in down in Denmark, then, then it's pretty much happy days on the electricity market. And, and uh, this, this, of course, uh, requires investments as well in terms of grid stability and, and other types of, of uh, adjustments uh, that we don't really have right now. We've never cared as much about the weather. Exactly, exactly. The, the local meteorologist is perhaps the most popular person or not, uh, given, <laughs> given how, how the outlook is. Yeah. One or the other, but nothing in between. There's been a very notable change to the business environment that companies operating this year, obviously because of the big things which have happened. Um, and if I just think back to all those client conversations with uh, corporates that uh, we have pretty much every day uh, and look back over the past several years, I think you could describe the general environment that we found ourselves in as being one of fairly limited volatility. Uh, I think you can claim that there's been ample and cheap funding and there has been, from the point of view of the corporates, at least their finance organizations, a lot of internal focus on efficiency, on digitalization and process optimization in, in treasuries and the whole finance organizations. And that focus is, is certainly not going to disappear. No way. That's all very, very important. But in this new kind of environment that we find ourselves in with these big things that have happened, we think that there's going to be a pretty clear bias in this new, more turbulent everyday reality towards shifting more into managing external risks. Um, Many have discovered arguably the hard way that those external risks actually do materialize and they do have a potential big impact on a company's financials. And everything just working as planned is something that you can no longer afford to take for granted. Whether we talk about funding or supply chain flows or avoiding any sort of sudden big potential hits from FX or interest rate or commodity price uh, movements. And, and this has been somewhat of a trend, right? And that there has been a mentality that any sudden or big market movements or even supply chain chain uh, problems uh, has been of a kind of a force majeure nature. So that it's not really something that you can take into account or, or reasonably be held accountable for. Uh, 
but, but we would argue, and again, from these kind of discussions that we've had, uh, and on the basis of most of all the, the treasure study uh, that we did, uh, that, that such approaches of just, you know, saying that something is for, force majeure or unlikely and uh, nobody saw it coming, it's, it's much more difficult going forward to, to justify in this new kind of environment where it's become even more evident that we do have a lot of these risks popping up and, and perhaps what we didn't believe was likely to happen has actually uh, has actually happened. So a, a, a world with greater volatility and, and greater uncertainty. And there, yeah, there's simply been too many cases, you could say, uh, of, you know, uh, yeah, too many examples uh, causing uh, causing corporate pain. Uh, again, the, the supply chain disruptions during the COVID pandemic or, or with a shipping and ending, on si- ending up sideways in, in one of the world's most important canals or sanctions against Russia. And then the resulting cost of living crisis from soaring energy prices and food and commodity prices, etc. There has been a lot of things happening and, and, and we are in this new kind of paradigm, you could say, of, of uh, risk management. And also not least, all these price changes drive driving up interest rates. Uh, and interest rates, if you think about it, have for many large corporates here in the Nordic region been more or less a non-issue for the better part of the decade. And with such low interest rates, the interest net item in the PNL for many corporates has been tiny. So why focus that much on it if it's not really going to make such a huge difference for the overall value creation? So with Nordic large corporates having leverage in line with history and lower than Europe, uh, significantly lower than, than for large corporates in the US, interest rate risk has not really been seen as a critical issue. Uh, There are some exceptions, uh, and within the corporate space, you would have, for example, parts of the real estate sector, and you would have, obviously, particularly at the privately owned end of uh, the arena of private equity-owned companies, where leverage is on a more ambitious level and where there will certainly be challenging situations going forward. But then, even for companies with limited or normal leverage, uh, simply going from an environment of of very low interest rates, where, as you said, the the, uh, interest rate costs, uh, the financial costs, aren't really that big of a deal in terms of, of the, the P&L. Going now into an environment where they actually will be um, and where we have more turbulence ahead of us, it of course becomes even more important to, to at least think about these risks and think about these issues and then choosing consciously whether to, to manage it or not. But then again, to the point, I mean, what's happened during the year is that we've kind of relearned that, that big things do happen. And there are big movements, whether it be supply chain, chain issues, whether it be, you know, interest rate movements, etc. Uh, and, and, and there needs to be a lot of thinking about this and, and, and how should our setup look in terms of risk management in this new way of thinking. And the same goes for energy and for commodities and for supply chains. Uh, after two decades of globalizing supply chains in order to reach the minimum cost for sourcing, corporates are now radically reprioritizing security of supply and also having a sustainable supply chain. It is going to matter a lot more going forward where you buy from, both uh, from an ESG and from a resilience perspective. Cost will stay important. Clearly, everybody will need to seek the best possible cost for their sourcing. But we do see these changed priorities driving a big wave of the centralizing and localizing supply chains in the coming years by corporates. Yeah, so naturally corporates, of course, as you say, corporates will have to think about the cost in, in their sourcing. But what we can see quite clearly clearly uh, in the results of, of the, the uh, treasury study is that corporates, uh, corporates are focusing a lot more 
generally on securing supply, but especially on, on the ESG aspect uh, of, the, of their uh, uh, supply chains uh, and also on the geopolitical landscape. And with that in mind, you know, instead of just talking about onshoring or, or offshoring, we would probably describe this more in terms of, of friendshoring. So companies will, instead of focusing on, on the unit cost of, of uh, a product, will be more be more aware of these risks that we have seen in the recent years and perhaps be willing to, to, to uh, accept a higher average unit cost if they know that they, in return, get a better ESG profile, if they get a higher certainty of uh, of uh, uh, deliveries so that they can, can sell to customers. Uh, because from these discussions with clients, if there's anything that we've learned, is that if you weren't able to provide your customers with uh, what they required uh, during the pandemic, that was very painful, uh, not only in terms of, of missed out revenue, but of course in the business relationship and, and, and all else. Uh, so, so bigger focus typically just on, on, you know, finding suppliers in locations where there are less material geopolitical risks, where, where such as, you know, sanctions or tariffs or, or, or quotas, uh, but also from uh, from a point of view of, of ESG. For example, do you want to have a, a massive part of your supply chain in an authoritarian regime uh, where, where, you know, decisions might just uh, arise or something might happen that is not really up to you or the economic climate. And and it's pretty obvious if you use Russia as a concrete example that if you sourced something critical for your business from Russia, that suddenly became a huge problem from the moment yeah. massive sanctions were introduced against Russia, meaning that it was no longer possible to have access to those deliveries. And just to kind of, I guess, think the unthinkable, if we want to point to the obvious concrete example for tomorrow, well, the one I think to mention is what if China were to invade Taiwan at some point. An invasion of Taiwan is something I think we should all hope will not happen. But just hypothetically, if we just consider that scenario, what if it were to happen? Well, the sanctions imposed on Russia, both looking at how quickly they came and how severe they were, they could serve as a potential template for what might happen to China uh, in terms of response from the world's democracies if such an invasion were to happen at some point in the future. Nordic large corporates we see in our um, treasury study are highly exposed to sourcing from China. And they need to consider that dependency given what might happen if there were a Taiwan invasion scenario. It may, as a comparison, be better to be able to source from other suppliers where the cost is higher as opposed to not being able to take delivery from your existing suppliers if they're in China under such a sort of scenario. But then uh, if I uh, challenge you a bit here and just say disregard that extreme scenario and if if we just look at instead the current concern that corporates have. Let's talk about ESG, for example, or or economic risk. What have you found out there in terms of China? Well, there is already a perceived problem in the sense that the the much reduced rate of growth in China, stemming to a great extent from the zero COVID policy, uh, means that there is a very notable effect on the overall health of the ecosystem from which you source in China. And that affects also, of course, to a very great extent, the, the reliability of supply. So from the point of view of corporates using an ecosystem in China for sourcing, there are concerns that policy uh, on part of the Chinese president, the Central Committee, the Politburo, could affect their ability to take delivery. And and, Mm. and this is a question mark which wasn't there to quite the same extent before. And on the economic side, uh, I think both of us would say that, you know, a few years back, what we would have picked up on is that uh, China was typically described as more of an opportunity. But it seems that there has, there has been a lot of things happening here as well, uh, with not only, you know, concerns about the, the macroeconomy of, of, uh, of the entire globe, but also specific concerns about having an exposure in terms of, of China, in terms of their own macroeconomic outlook. Absolutely. So one of the main 
themes, one of the main overarching discussions during the year. I guess you could just summarize as, as companies becoming even more um, sometimes painfully aware of geopolitical risks and, and that, you know, unlikely shocks to the economy or shocks to, to supply chains or, or what have you uh, actually do, do happen. And I think it's, it's, it's uh, it will be hard to shrug off any new shocks going forward with, you know, what I said before, we didn't see it coming. It, it's since, since we've had this period now behind us with a lot of volatility happening, it's even more important to be to 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 be aware to think about specific risks for for each corporate uh, specific exposures and, and and then assess will we be able to face any headwinds uh, is this something that we need to mitigate is this something that we need to uh, to find a solution uh, for uh, for protection uh, and a key thing here is is that make it a deliberate choice just don't assume that everything is going to be fine because obviously the, the, the last year and the, the past few years have told us otherwise. Wise words. And to conclude, Victor, in a very turbulent and challenging 2022 and with plenty of potential headwinds on the horizon for next year, uh, it just has to be said that it's not all darkness out there. We will need to find ways to cope with higher inflation, higher interest rates than we are used to for many years. We are going to need to live with greater uncertainty and greater volatility. But there is going to be a continued massive focus on sustainability. We have seen that very, very clearly. There is going to be a continued commitment to national security and this very, very powerful global renewable energy transition, which Russia's invasion of Ukraine has speeded up considerably if we're talking about Europe. And there will be massive commercial opportunities for all those businesses out there who can contribute with something that will be part of the solution. Whether it's going to be making wind turbines or helping out with grid optimization software, building insulation to conserve energy in uh, buildings. And the same can be argued for areas such as, for example, defense equipment or productivity enhancing equipment and solutions or, or, or digitalization. So there are opportunities out there as well. And I think one of one great example here to just highlight, uh, you know, on the area of sustainability, e- even even uh, national security, uh, but especially the, the global energy transition, is this energy crisis that we we are currently in the midst of uh, in in Europe. Because obviously, it, it's uh, you know it's shocking to see ele- electricity prices as high as they are. But at the same time, we have to be aware of that that some 16 percent of uh, Europe's electricity before uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine came from Russia in the form of gas or in the form of coal and and what is happening now with you know the the amount of funding that has been allocated to uh, toward the energy transition and, and with everything that that will require such as technological advancement etc you know there will be massive investments into to the electrical grid there will be massive investments into wind power and solar power etc and what you will end up with is an investment boom Uh, with massive opportunities for those involved. And at the same time, when we come out uh, on the other side of this, uh, we will have replaced a large part of the gas and the coal that we currently use, uh, not in the Nordics, but but uh, in Europe, uh, for electricity generation. We will have replaced that with wind power, solar power. So we're moving from you know, more of a dirty kind of system to a better one. So it's, it's, it's not all disparate. There will be good things to come. There definitely will. And... As much as we've had a very volatile year, 2023 is looking unlikely to be particularly calm and quiet. 
And we're going to start the year with a Nodi on your mind about inflation in late January, which we feel has good odds of remaining a highly relevant topic. And we will not, you and I, Johan, uh, try to, to uh, do any forecasts of our own. Our, our macro research colleagues here at Nordea are, of course, on top of that. Uh, but but uh, And they will work with us on this report. Uh, but what we will try to do is, is more of a, you could say, educational piece, you know, looking into just what is infl- inflation, how does it actually work, uh, and what drives it. It's going to be fascinating. Uh, For all you listeners who are interested in any of the topics we've mentioned in this talk, uh, we have separate podcasts on each and every one of them. So feel free to look out for those if you want more of a deep dive. For now, thank you for your support and your interest during the past year. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening uh, this time. And look out for more exciting themes from us in 2023. We're starting off with inflation that Victor mentioned. There's more coming later, including a bank versus bond funding theme and also a cybersecurity theme. So uh, plenty to look forward to. In the meantime, wish you all a very Merry Christmas. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.